Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Good morning, Father Fred. We are going to do episode 26 today. But before we get started, I understand you took a little trip to Notre Dame this past weekend. Yes, George. Went to Notre Dame, went by train. I always wanted to go by train. I've traveled a lot by train in Mexico. I thought, well, I've been to Notre Dame a lot of different ways, car and bus and plane, but I've never been there by the train. So this friend of mine, Jorge Gomez and I, we decided to go by train and we took it for 22 hours to be sitting down. I wanted to do that and now I have done it and I won't do it again. Kind of a tough trip for 22 hours in a single seat, huh? Yes, but it sure made sleeping good that night when we got into Chicago and got a bed to lie down on. And I understand that there is a young man on the Notre Dame team from Denison that you've been following since high school. Is that correct? Yeah, his name's Jadarian Price, and he's a running back. He's a sophomore now. He didn't get to play any last year. He got hurt, didn't play one down. But uh, this year he's doing well. He Against Southern California, he took that ball 99 yards from a kickoff to the other goal line for, for six points. And then we went up this week to see Notre Dame play Pittsburgh, and they just beat them pretty badly. I think it's 58 to 7. And Jadarian made a touchdown in that game also. Wonderful. Maybe we'll see him in the NFL someday. I hope so. He's certainly a good young man. Speaking of running, I understand we're going to be studying about Jacob running to Lehman and either to get a wife or to save himself from Esau or perhaps both. It depends on which you're reading, whether you're reading the priestly version or if you're reading the E version or Elohim. Elohim means God. And, and whenever in the this version, if it's used, Elohim is called E. And it's going to have a lot of details. The priestly, it's just going to give you facts, one right after the other. It's not interested in telling a story. It's just interested in, in getting facts across as a priest would get them across. And this storyteller in the chapter 27 is where we have the Elohim story. And Rebecca is the mama. She's going to have twins. And those twins, she's told by God that those twins are going to be like two countries fighting one another. And they wind up being that. Like Esau becomes Edom and Jacob becomes Israel. So first of all, Esau comes out first. Now Esau is red and Esau means red. He's red and he's hairy. And he's going to be out into the woods a lot, killing hairy animals. And Jacob is going to be one that stays in the house. He's going to be with his mama. The mama's boy is Jacob, and daddy's boy is Esau. They, they just have their favorites. Esau also had a red stew. Esau means red, and there's a red stew that's involved in this. And he sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of red stew. Now, when this happens, Isaac gets mad as, as he can be. Esau gets mad. He wants to kill Jacob. So just as George was saying, Jacob is going to be running away from there to go to his uncle Laban. And this is in a story that's going on and just telling, making it interesting. There's suspense. You, you know, Jacob just leaves when Esau comes in to get his birthright. Uh, there's 
a lot of anxiety in it because it's a, like a murder mystery. Then we go to chapter 28. In chapter 28, we're going to get that story told from a different version. It's called the, the priestly source. And to really appreciate where that priestly source comes from, we have, and I'm going to change just a little bit, we have what we call a redactor that takes these different three writings, the Elohim, which is E, the Yahwist, which is J, and the Priestly, which is called P, and he chops them all up and puts them together to make them try to make one solid story. And sometimes he put them in places where they don't even make sense. And I'm going to just look at a couple of them here for you as we go to this trip that Jacob is going to be making when he goes up to Laban. But if you have your Bible, open it for just a moment. This is going to be a couple of verses that do not fit anywhere else in chapter 26, but the redactor or the editor had to put them in there somewhere. At the end of chapter 26, verses 34 and 35, you can write that down, and here's what it says. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Mary, the Hittite. Now, that's bad. You don't want to marry a Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, those two had nothing to do with anything else that's in that chapter 26. So you skip all of chapter 27 and you come to the last verse and you find what went right with the one that we just read. Genesis 27 verse 46 says, Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with life because of the Hittite woman. What Hittite woman or women are that she's talking about? She's going back to Genesis 26. This is where her other son, Esau, marries a Hittite woman. So we go a whole chapter before we get the next line. And it's, again, it says, Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob should also marry a Hittite woman. Now, also means his brother has already married one. If Jacob should also marry a Hittite woman, a native of the land like these women, why should I live? She really gets dramatic. Now, that's chapter 27, verse 46. It has nothing to do with anything else in that chapter. But you go to chapter 28, and the very next line fits right in. You can see where they were chopped up and would put them back together. Genesis 28, verses 1 through 9. Isaac therefore summoned Jacob and blessed him. Now, remember back in, in the first one, in 27, he didn't bless him. He didn't call him in and they were going to have a good time. He got tricked into doing this. But now we have the priestly source and we're going to read it this way. Therefore summoned Jacob and blessed him, charging him, you shall not marry a Canaanite woman. Now that is goes back to, to chapter 27 after because she was, the mama was saying, I don't want my son to marry a Hittite woman. And so it starts out therefore. That means you ask, what's it there for? It's there. Because before, she had just lost one son. So chapter 28, starting with 1-9, says, Isaac therefore summoned Jacob and blessed him, charging him, You shall not marry a Canaanite woman. Go now to Badan Aram, to the home of your mother's father, Bethuel, and there choose a wife for yourself from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. You, you notice here. He's not going because he's running away. He's not going to save his life. He's going now to look for a wife. So we've got two different sources 
going to get them both to Laban, but they're going for different reasons because these writers had different reasons in their minds when they were writing. Verse 3 says, May God bless you and make you fertile and multiply you that you may become an assembly of peoples. So he's already got his blessing now. None of the other things about red stew, nothing about selling your birthright, nothing about grabbing anybody's heel. Just this one line. May God bless you and make you fertile and multiply you that you may become an assembly of peoples. And verse 4 says, May God send to you and your descendants the blessing of Abraham. So now there's the blessing. May God give you the blessing of Abraham so that you may gain possession of the land where you are residing, which he assigned to Abraham. And verse 5, Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way. He went to Badam Aram to Laban. He's gone there to Laban, just like the other one went to Laban. Only this time, there are no no mysteries about it, just stating the facts. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way. He went to Padanaram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramanian, and brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So it sounds like Jacob is on his way to his uncle uh, Laban's house, and he's going to marry his second cousin, uh, Rebekah, or at least that's the plan. Yeah, or is that the first? Was it second cousin? I think so, because uh, according to this genealogy chart, Terah was the father of Haran, Nahor, and Abraham. Then Nahor had a son named Bethuel, so that would make Bethuel Abraham's nephew. And then Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Bethuel had Laban and Rebekah. And then Laban had Leah and Rachel. So wouldn't that make it his second cousin? Yes, it would. So I wish everybody could see what we're looking at here ourselves. Uh, but it's a family of Abraham. You can pull that up off the Internet if you want to. And I never did hear where, what Tara's wife was named, but I saw on one chart that it said her, her name was Edith. Edith. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I didn't, I've never seen that in the Bible. And sometimes we, we embellish things. <laughs> Well, maybe, I'm just guessing, maybe that's in the Apocrypha. But it could be. So anyway, Isaac married his cousin or second cousin, and now Jacob's on the way to do the same. Yes. And still in that same chapter that we were, chapter 28, in verse 6, we have Esau. Now Esau, he's lost everything. He's upset about it, and here's, here's how he reacts. Esau noted that Isaac had blessed Jacob when he sent him to Padam Aram to get himself a wife there, and that as he gave him his blessing, he charged him, you shall not marry a Canaanite woman. So what do you think Esau's going to do? And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and got on to Padam Aram. Now, verse 8, here's what he does. Esau saw how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael, and in addition to the wives he had, he married Mahalath, the daughter of Abraham's son Ishmael, and sister of Nebalath. So he went down just <coughs> purposely to marry another Hittite woman because he knew that would bother his mother and his father. Open your Bibles now to chapter 29. Jacob is looking for his wife. Verse 1. 
After Jacob resumed his journey, he came to the land of the Kedemites, and they are eastern people. Look at this verse 2. Looking about, he saw a well in the open country, and three flocks of sheep huddled near it, for flocks were watered from that well. Now, this tells you how important water was. A large stone covered the mouth of the well. So when they're not there, they covered that up with a large stone so that nobody can come or had to take a, a bunch of people to come that are strong and move that rock to get to that water in the well. And verse 3 says, when all the shepherds were assembled there, they would roll the stone away. So it took several shepherds. Uh, they got to wait till the other shepherds get there. When all the shepherds, all of them, were assembled there, they would roll the stone away, big stone, from the mouth of the well, and then they would water the sheep. Then they would put the stone back again in its place over the mouth of the well to protect that water from just being evaporated or stolen or polluted or whatever. Because sometimes if you had an enemy, they'd go fill your well up. That would be a, a terrible thing to have to go out and find out that your well, water that you had to have in the desert, had been filled up with dirt. Verse 4, Jacob said to them, My brothers, so he sees a couple of guys there, My brothers, where are you from? We are from Haram, they replied. Then he asked them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? We do, they answered. He inquired further, Is he well? He's just trying to carry on a conversation and see see what all he can find out. He is, they answered. And boy, here comes something. Here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Now, Rachel is going to be figured mightily in the life of Jacob. Then Jacob said, this is verse 7. Then Jacob said, there's still much daylight left. It is hardly the time to bring the animals home. Water the sheep and then continue pasturing them. Why is Jacob giving these orders? Now, this is the J story. The priestly story would just be stating of facts. Verse 8 says, they replied, we cannot until all the shepherds are here to roll the stone away from the mouth of the well. Then we can water the flock. So it sounds like it's going to take all of the shepherds. We cannot until all the shepherds get here. Maybe it's just because they have to wait, but it sounds like maybe the rock, the stone, is big enough that it takes all of them to move it. And while he was still talking with them, Rachel arrived with her father's sheep, for she was the one who tended them. Verse 10. As soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his mother's brother Laban, and the sheep of Laban, it gave him a lot of strength. He went up and rolled the stone away. He did it by himself. He went up, rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well, and watered Laban's sheep. Now, this is just the opposite of his mama. His mama watered the camels of Abraham's servant. Now, instead of the girl giving water to the man, the man is going to get water for the girl. Verse 11, this is what you call quick, quick, quick. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Now, why would he weep? If he's going to kiss somebody, maybe she bit his lip, maybe uh, she had bad breath. Something caused him to weep whenever he kisses her. Whenever I read this, I'm thinking he's more giving her like a family kiss, like a kiss on the cheek. And he's weeping because his journey was successful. Possibly. 
surely can't be. Look at verse 12. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative, Rebekah's son. And and she does just the same as Jacob's mother did. She ran to tell her father. And when Laban heard the news about Jacob, now Laban is not the most honest guy in town. When Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him. A lot of running going on. And after embracing and kissing him, he brought him to his house. Jacob then repeated to Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, You are indeed my bone and my flesh. Now we're going to get more serious. We're going to the marriage, and it's going to be a tricky one, of Leah and Rachel. This is verse 14, but it's underneath another heading, but it still goes back with verse 14. After Jacob had stayed with him a full month. Now, that's a good while there to go, you know, just go visit your relative. Stay a month. Laban said to him, should you serve me for nothing? Now, you will notice the word serve. Are you going to serve me for nothing just because you are a relative of mine? I'll bet you that Laban has noticed that Jacob's got his eye on Rachel. That's going to be the wages that he tricks him into. Also, we remember that his sister married Isaac. Laban knows Jacob comes from a wealthy family. Yeah. So this is in the back of Laban's mind. Yes, and he tells him, Should you serve me for nothing just because you are a relative of mine? Tell me what your wages should be. And again, I'll bet you Laban has noticed that Jacob, he's been looking at at Rachel. Now, in verse 16, which I know you're getting to, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead, and said, Now Laban had two daughters. The older was called Leah, the younger Rachel. Leah had dull eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. And some versions say Leah had weak eyes. And so we were discussing this the other day, and we wondered if it meant Leah couldn't see very well, or did it mean something else? And you brought up an interesting point. You said, but that's going to contrast what was just said. They said Leah had dull eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. If it was referring to Leah's, you know, having bad eyesight, it might say Rachel had good eyesight. But instead, it says Rachel had was shapely and beautiful. So perhaps Leah was hard on the eyes. And the phrase they used was she had weak eyes. Yeah. When you put that word but in there, it makes it just the opposite. It's like, I'm going to town, but you stay home. And this one is, Leah had dull eyes. What does that mean? Because it's going to be something the opposite of, Rachel was shapely and beautiful. So it's not a compliment for the figure and the the view of Leah. If you were writing this story, where would the Messiah come from? Leah? Or would it come from Rachel? If I were writing the story, it wouldn't come from somebody with weak eyes. Right. So I kind of find it interesting that Jesus came as a descendant of Leah. It sounds strange, doesn't it? Yeah, because if, if I was writing this, you know, I'd want to make the Messiah the most perfect human, had all the best genealogy, had all the best descendants, but now they're making Jesus a descendant of the Holy Sister. And it's also the kind of people that Jesus would hang around with, wasn't it, whenever he was here? He didn't look for the the wealthy nor the handsome. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Okay, let's go now to 17. We read that just a moment ago. 
says, verse 17, Leah had dull eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful, which makes us to believe that Leah was not shapely and beautiful. Verse 18 says, because Jacob loved Rachel, he answered, and here is, there are a couple of things here. I will serve you. He's going to be a servant. I will serve you. And how many? For seven years. Seven's supposed to be perfect. This is supposed to be a perfect wedding, I think, whenever the seven years are up. I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So is the number seven here symbolic? Why, why would he pick seven years or why any certain number? But if you're going to pick any number, why pick seven other than the fact that possibly or probably seven here could mean this is going to be perfect now because I'm going to get this perfect woman. Okay. Verse 19 says, Laban replied, it is better to give her to you than to another man. Stay with me. So he's marrying his cousin. So when they check their family tree, they're just going to find a post. Verse 20 says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Yet they Now, this seems strange to me, too. Yet they seem to him like a few days because of his love for her. When there's something that I really want, it seems to me like time drags by, not flies by. Like when you were a kid, it took forever for Christmas to get there. Yes, or just to get that dessert at the table when we had it. Verse 20 again says, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Now he's done it. Yet they seemed to him like a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may consummate my marriage with her, for my term is now completed. The poor woman doesn't have anything to say about it, and the poor guy had to work seven years. So Laban invited all the local inhabitants and gave a banquet. In verse 23, at nightfall he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he consummated the marriage with her. Now Jacob is the one with poor eyes. So I was thinking this, Jacob deceived a, a blind man to get the, his blessing, to get the birthright. Now he's the blind one. It seems strange to us that a man does not see the difference between Leah and Rachel, but women betrothed to men back then, they wore a heavy veil. And they were led after dark to the groom. So he possibly did not know it because of, of that. Or maybe he'd been drinking a little bit, too. The deceiver got deceived. The deceiver got deceived. We say in English, what goes around comes around. Have you heard that old saying, time heals all wounds? Well, here, time wounded the heel grabber. This is one dysfunctional family. If you want to be wealthy in the kingdom of God, belong to his people. Verse 24 says, Laban assigned his maidservant Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her maidservant. Now, look what's going to happen. This, this is not going to be good. No, this is not going to be good. In the morning, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, how could you do this to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why did you deceive me? Why shouldn't he deceive you? The whole family deceives everybody. Verse 26, Laban replied, it is not the custom in our country to give the younger daughter before the firstborn. Now, he didn't tell him that, though, while he was working for Rachel. He said, uh, it's just not our custom now. Verse 27 says, finish the bridal week for this one, and then the other will also be given to you in return for another seven years of service with me. Seven again, and service, the slave. 
So Laban managed to get both of his daughters married off to a very wealthy person. Ever since Isaac was looking for his wife, Laban has been in the background flying how he's going to deceive and, and come out on the long end. So also, the last time they mentioned a maidservant, they mentioned Hagar, which was Sarah's maidservant, and Abraham ended up having a child through Hagar because Sarah couldn't conceive at the time, and she thought that's how God was going to bless Abraham. So I'm wondering if they're mentioning the maidservant as a foreshadow of something that's going to happen later on. There's going to be children from different women. Okay. Verse 28 says, Jacob did so. He finished the bridal week for the one, and then Label gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. So he's gone now 14 years to get this wife that he loves so much. Or whatever number of years. Well, yeah. So, you know, he could have worked a year or whatever. We don't know the exact number. But yeah. then he is going to have to work more to pay off the second wife. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 29, Laban assigned his maidservant Bilchah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. And verse 30 says, Jacob then consummated his marriage with Rachel also, and he loved her more than Leah. I guess you would if you got the one, first of all, you didn't even want her. And the second one was uh, shapely and beautiful. I wonder how Leah felt about all this. She's going to tell us in just a little bit. Verse 20 says, again, then Jacob consummated his marriage with Rachel also, and he loved her more than Leah. And thus he served Laban another seven years. And Laban's not finished yet. He's going to try and get tricking with cattle and everything else that he can. Then we're going to come to an important part. Here is uh, what George was asking just a moment ago. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he made her fruitful while Rachel was barren, just like back in the past with Abraham and Sarah. Verse 32 says, Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. Now, they're going to have a lot of children, and it's a good idea to write these down because these children that they're going to have are going to be important for the history of Israel. This is verse 32. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said it means, the Lord saw my misery. Surely now my husband will love me. Now that is one long definition. That one word Reuben means, the Lord saw my misery. Surely now my husband will love me. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, it means the Lord heard that I was unloved and therefore he has given me this one also. So she named him Simeon. Good idea to write these names down. Reuben is first. Simeon is second. These names sound familiar. Yeah. If you are in our Bible class and you have the map of Israel and it's got the, all the 12 tribes, you're going to be finding them with most of these names. Not the next one, because the next one's not going to get a tribe. Verse 34 says, again, she conceived and bore a son and she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me since I have now borne him three sons. That is why she named him Levi. The priestly tribe. The priestly tribe. So when on your chart, you're not going to find Levi with a tribe because he's a priest and the priests do not get territory. Last of all, verse 35. Once more, 
she conceived and bore a son, and she said, This time I will give thanks to the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing children for a while. She's going to have some more later on. So isn't it interesting that Jesus is a descendant of Judah, and Judah means, I will give thanks to the Lord. It's almost like saying, Jesus is someone we should give thanks for to the Lord. For everything that we have. And as you get to be 89, you give more thanks every day. And that's the end of, of chapter 29. And it's we finally got a spouse for Jacob. Well, that's good timing because we're out of time. I think all this is fascinating. You know what I hope? I hope the people that are listening to these podcasts, I hope if there's a place for it, leave a comment. I would like to know what you think about them. On uh, Spotify, there is a place where you can have people leave a comment. So I'm going to open that up. We would love to hear your thoughts on this podcast. If you're listening on Spotify, look for a section where you can leave comments and leave a comment. I might even put a question up there. I don't know what the question would be yet, but I'll put one up there and we'll see uh, if anybody responds. I hope that you are enjoying these podcasts as much as we enjoy preparing them for you. And if you get a chance, leave a rating and a comment on the app that you're listening to the podcast on. If it's on Apple, Spotify, there should be a, a place where you can give us between one and five stars. And if you're on Spotify, the same thing. But on Spotify, you'll also have the ability to leave a comment. Well, thank you again, Father Fred. 